Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Find Your Model Health, the official podcast for those looking to optimize their long-term health and weight goals and understand how their body really works. I'm your host. I'm Shmay Linney. I'm a nutritional therapist, integrative health practitioner, and iridologist. And we have a very interesting guest joining us today to speak about a very interesting topic. But before I go on, I must remind you all that the information in these podcast episodes is for informational purposes only and not to be taken as medical advice please consult your health practitioner before making any lifestyle changes. So today we have Matt Simon. Am I pronouncing that correct? You are indeed. Yeah, he's on to talk to us about psychedelics. Super interesting. Now, Matt has a background in the effects of psychedelics. He is MSc and is a dedicated explorer of the inner world and passionate advocate for the thoughtful and responsible use, responsible people, use of psychedelics. <laughs> he has a master's of science in psychology and neuroscience of mental health with honors from King's College London. Matt has studied the effects of psychedelics on the mind and the potential for these experiences to serve as a catalyst for positive transformations and that's what he's here to educate us on today which is first Matt what a career path to choose I mean why tell us a bit about your story was this like a teenage dream or just something you decided needed to happen really quite the opposite I was um I grew up in the just say no generation where uh, we had drilled into our head that the the skillet is your brain and the egg's going to fry on it if you did drugs. And mm-hmm. um, I believed it. I really didn't do any drugs for most of my life. I was not even a big drinker. And some friends invited me to do a guided psychedelic experience um, about five years ago. Mm-hmm. And in that first experience, it uh, it completely just changed the way I look and interact with the world. Um, the the big takeaway from that first one is I reconnected with my mom who died when I was 22. She was 49 um, and just felt incredibly safe and loved and realized that, wow, I don't normally feel safe and loved in my everyday life and what's going on. Um, and then did a deep dive into learning as much as I could about these these powerful medicines for uh, for learning, healing, and and growing, and then spiritual connection. So you think you're to put it in layman's terms, your experience really helped you to take down those walls that you maybe had put up that was preventing you from feeling more at ease in the world and safer. Absolutely, I think I was scared of dying. Um, I think I was scared of dying young. Um, I didn't believe in any type of God after my mom died. And, um, and this reintroduced me to, to the possibility that there is a higher power, um, that, that I'm not alone in this world, that we are all connected, um, that we're all loved, that we are enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those are, those are big. It's one thing to read that in a book or have someone tell it to you. And it's another thing to feel it in the, in your heart and in your bones. Um, and I definitely felt it and yeah. have continued to feel it since then. So you not think in your experience, you were almost connected to a different plane or dimension or like some doorway was opened for you. That's truly what I believe that it's a, it taps you into a, into a universal wisdom, um, and to a, to a higher power. 
mm-hmm. in a way that uh that it, it's very challenging to get there in other, in other methods you can get there absolutely there's there's ways to get there with breath work there's ways to get there with meditation um there's a way to get there with just it's just prayer by itself but this technology these these psychedelic mushrooms um or and, and uh, sorry other psychedelics in my case it was mushrooms in that first one mm-hmm. um have a, a very consistent way of bringing people to this place and then uh and then they can take that information and and do it use it to transform their lives moving forward yeah i i do have so many questions but this is a very interesting topic i know a lot of people have a lot of questions there is a lot of health practitioners um aubrey marcus many others who talk a lot about psychedelics even joe rogan and people Mm -hmm. hear the words but they think they know, but they don't know. They think magic mushrooms, ayahuasca, and that's that's it. So people's education is very limited, hence your book, which we will get into. But I, I think as well, depending on the individual, I, I personally think you can tap into that state as well true dreams if you are the type of person to be open to something like that in any way so I think like you mentioned there's meditation prayer there's all these different avenues and I believe dreaming is one of them but some people want this extra leg up shall we say with the psychedelics to help them not everyone is totally intuitive either I think that's very true. I, I talked about how there's there's three different ways that people kind of come to psychedelics. Some mm-hmm. say, hey, I, I, I want a medical model. I want to be diagnosed with something. And then I want to meet somebody in a white lab coat and have a uh, an experience where the, the, the medicine comes from a pharmacy mm-hmm. and I'm prescribed it. And and that's beautiful and that's important. And uh, And I think the work we're seeing with MDMA specifically and how that should be legal both here and in Canada, beginning of next year, um, psilocybin's heading down that path with, with some really great clinical, uh, studies, uh, particularly with, um, people with terminal illness. Yeah. Um, that's a great way for people to meet. There's another group of people actually in Canada and you have the, uh, section 56 exemption, which would fall under that category. Others say, you know what, it should be decriminalized. There, there, no adult should tell another adult that they can't put nature in their body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have full respect for that. And that's just a different model. They, they want to be able, they don't want to have to tell anybody any reason to do this. They just want to be able to do it. And the third model is kind of the religious freedom model, um, particularly here in the States where our country was founded on religious freedom. Most of our States have, have religious freedom clauses in their constitutions. Um, people believe that psychedelics have been used for thousands of years to connect to a higher power. And that they should, and that many cultures have used different psychedelics based on what was available to them. And that uh, in the 200 some psychedelic churches there are now here in the States, that's, that's pretty much what they're saying. They're saying this, this, this should be legal. We have freedom of religion. We should be allowed to practice our religion any way we wish. And um, I think all three um, ways of meeting the medicine are important, not just a, not one, and it's an and they all, they all should work together. In in um, Vancouver and Toronto, as we mm-hmm. kind of touched on before the call, they've decriminalized psilocybin here and potentially come into a few other cities. It's been my observation that people who do use psychedelics in Canada, it's more so apart from the natives, 
but the rest is more the medicinal use, even down to the CBD and oil. It's not so much the religious or spiritual, but more that medicinal use. And you, I have not personally heard of churches in Canada. And that could be because then we brought in the legalization of the CBD and marijuana and different states, like we mentioned, or cities playing around with decriminalization. That could be that prequel that it's coming to all of Canada or all the provinces. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, there are definitely, there are definitely some psychedelic churches in Canada. Um, but I, they're, part of the challenge we have in our culture is that we, we all need to be very quiet about this, mm -hmm. um, yeah, whether it's a gray area. Um, and we believe we're practicing under freedom of religion. There isn't a, a, with, with just a couple of exceptions, there's not a, what's called a DEA exemption for most mm -hmm. of these churches to operate. And, um, it means they have to, to work quietly. And it's, it's unfortunate in my opinion, there's, in the old days, there was no separation between the, there was just healer and part of their job was a spiritual healer. And part of their job was a medical healer. In our Western culture, we have divided those roles where doctors are really supposed to be pure science and priests are supposed to be pure spiritual. And, um, and I can understand the argument when people say, well, if you were to put psychedelics in the hands of priests, well, they might not know as much about my brain and my body to keep me safe. Um, and I can understand that argument. And conversely, I can understand, well, if you put psychedelics in the hands of doctors only, <clears throat> they don't understand enough about the spiritual practices that, uh, that surround this and, uh, and how to work with these different energies that come up. Um, and I can understand that argument. So I believe that it's, it's, it's time for a reconciliation between the spiritual and the medical, where they both adopt best practices from the other, learn from each other, and just find more ways to get these medicines into the hands of people who who need and want them. Mm, uh, there, there's a long debate to be had there on the financial aspect and mm -hmm. whether they want people getting their hands on them. I do believe there are some great practitioners out there who are open to the idea of herbal medicine, but there's also the other. I mean, there's it's a complicated topic, and as much as we would like everyone to unite, it's unlikely it's going to happen. But for those, let's just take a step back because not everyone's in the know. What are psychedelics? Some people are like, what are they talking about? What are psychedelics? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we talk about psychedelics, we're talking about what, um, from the Greek word, mind expanding or soul expanding drugs. Um, <clears throat> most commonly, the people ones that people know are things like magic mushrooms, LSD, um, ketamine is the only legal psychedelic in all 50 states. Um, ibogaine is comes from a, the a, the boga root, which is which is more and more common for um, uh, opioid disorders and, and some other things. Um, uh, DMT, ayahuasca, uh, the toad or five meo DMT yeah. bufo Al, from the bufo alvarius toad is getting a lot more uh, mainstream press these days oh, that beautiful <laughs> why does it make you laugh people you see pictures of people just going around mm -hmm. licking frogs and licking people don't toads. even know what the frogs are as well i'm like this is going crazy now <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then there are there are literally hundreds of other psychedelics that that most people don't know there's a, a person named uh, sasha shulgan and his wife um and who have a, two books, P-Call and T-Call, mm -hmm. where he actually documented what are a number, a couple hundred of these psychedelics, how they make him feel, how they make her feel, how they make his testers feel, 
Mm-hmm. And um, that's out there for, but those, those ones I just mentioned are kind of the most common um, and they range from, we, we'll start with the toad, which is a, I don't know, a 10 to 20 minute journey. Ketamine's 40 minutes to an hour. Um, psilocybin or magic mushrooms is maybe six hours to uh, LSD, I don't know, 10 to 12, depending on, on, on. Uh, dose and setting. Mm-hmm. Well, I left out MDMA, by the way, MDMA and MDA, um, very close molecules. Um, but those are right now, MDMA is getting a lot of press with people with treatment resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So people are victims of sexual assault, um, first responders, veterans, and, um, and just incredible results. Just the, the quick, the quick consolidated, uh, results after the phase three clinical trials, People who, again, nothing has worked, no pharmacological, no, no talking solution. Um, they took three sessions of MDMA with therapy before and after. Mm-hmm. 67% no longer qualified as having PTSD. 88% had a clinically significant improvement in their symptoms. That's crazy. So those results are, yeah, they're off the charts. And um, that's why we expect that to be re-legalized. It was legal up until uh, 1986 um, here in America. Um, beginning of next year. So it's so super exciting. They were microdosing in that study? No, macrodosing. Yeah. Full full doses of MDMA three times with uh, therapy before and after. Okay. Uh, but these were being also observed through the study too. They weren't just a complete really yeah. No, 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 no. It's a phase three clinical trial done in a medical environment with two people t- uh, in the room observing the uh, and supporting the participants. Good. Yeah. Very rigorous big rigorous trial. So how do psychedelics work? Do you have the ins and outs mm. that you can explain to us? Yeah, I can take it at a high level. Um, and then it, and it ranges based on which psychedelic, but in brush broad strokes, what the first thing it does, is it quiets down your default mode network. So think about that, that part of your brain that, that contains your inner narrator, the point, the part that's saying, Oh, you're, you're not good enough. You're not mm. smart enough. You're not doing enough. It turns that off for the, your journey. And um, many people say like, oh my gosh, it's just such a relief to quiet down that voice and not to hear the negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, a second thing it does is it allows neurons to fire together that haven't fired together in, in many years for, for most of us. What, what happens as we age, we get into repetitive thinking patterns where we literally are thinking the same way over and over and over. Um, the analogy I, I often give is, is imagine a ski slope. And as we get older, we, we ski down the same track over and over and over to our skis are deep in the ruts. And that's just the way we ski mm-hmm. psychedelic puts a, a new, <clears throat> new coat of powder on that mountain. It lights up the neurons in a way that haven't been lit up in a while. And that allows us to remember, oh, wow, wait, I can ski over this entire mountain. I don't have to just think this way. Mm-hmm. And with that information, we can start introducing behavioral change into our into what comes after the psychedelics. Maybe for some people that's um, related to drinking or substance use or eating or um, depression or anxiety or OCD, any of these things. Um, but have, be having a chance to kind of relight up the brain is, is, is really powerful. Third thing it does, it introduces a state of neuroplasticity. So your brain starts growing new neurons. And then in, in many cases, it connects you to some type of higher power where you feel connected to kind of all things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for many people, that's that feeling of not being alone in the universe, that feeling of there's something else out there, that feeling that they're, they're 
potentially is life before and after our human existence. There's more. Um, yeah. There's more. There's just more. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, really beautiful. So then people come in again for all sorts of different reasons. And in a single journey, you can cross many a number of reasons. Some people are, oh, I, I did have a spiritual experience and that was really important. And I was able to process this trauma that happened to me as a, as a child. And that was really important. And I have insight into how I want to move forward with my life. And that was really important. So all of those things can happen. Um, and it, again, that's, that's in big brushstrokes, kind of how, how psychedelics work to the best of our knowledge. Such an individual experience. I like how you described silencing just quieting everything down. And I talk to, I specialize in nutrition. So I speak to my clients mm. a lot about like the hormone aspect of insulin and um, just everything being so noisy in the body. And when you quieten everything down, then you can listen to what your body is saying. But in the context of what you just said is you're quietening the mind down all that noise like heavy traffic in LA of peak mm -hmm. time just quieten everything and maybe the neurons were asleep because they were not being listened to there was too much noise so they just went into hibernation but now they get the chance to kind of speak up again and remind you of who you are and what you're capable of I love that, uh, Shemaine. That's, I mean, I say that all the time, that this is a, a remembrance activity that you, I don't believe psychedelics actually cure anything for mm -hmm. anyone. They're a catalyst. They're a reminder that you are loved. You are enough. There is, uh, you, you have a glimpse of this abundant world that we live in that we just don't stop and look at often enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for, and, and you talk about, um, for people like eating disorders, as an example, mm. I mean, so much of that is the way people choose. And, and again, you know this much better than me, but in many cases, it's the way people are processing um, trauma or something from from an earlier part of life, and um, and then it becomes a behavioral pattern, and it ties into a repetitive thinking pattern. It's a and programming. It is. It's a programming. Being programmed and. Yep. This was because Monday motivation. This was what I spoke to my clients this morning. Bruce Lipton speaking a lot about repetitive actions it's in in a lot of ways outside the psychedelic aspect. Mm -hmm. It's repetitive actions all day, every day is the only way you can break that reprogramming. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to stick with repetitive actions. Um, for but for a lot of people, it can be very helpful. But it is that programming like the wall we spoke about in the beginning the programming the fear that i can't do this i'm not capable and psychedelics help us take down that wall because like you said i agree i think we we can heal everything ourselves i think we're capable of all of that but this wall prevents people from seeing that uh, that's that's absolutely right on and the and the other thing when it comes to um to starting new behaviors. Mm -hmm. They're hard to start for a lot of people. And if it's just a technique, if it's just something I've been told to do, I need to drink more water. Mm -hmm. I need to walk more. Okay. I know that. Thank you for telling me I need to eat less calories. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. I know it intellectually. The difference is when you take a psychedelic and you feel wow, I want to drink more water because I can understand how I am I am made of the same things that water is made of. I'm not separate. I'm part of, um, I am nature. 
And by walking and spending more time in myself, in this bigger thing, that is healthier for this physical body in which I'm containing. I know it inside my body now, and it's no longer a technique. It's something I want to do. And I, and I think that's just so incredible. <clears throat> and we're talking about eating now, but the same thing applies to people who want to stop smoking or people who want to stop using opioids or people who want to stop drinking or people who want to stop gambling or people who want to stop um, sex addiction. I mean, you name the, name the, the behavioral pattern um, that someone's trying to stop doing, and this can be very effective for them. And, and not for everybody, by the way, we didn't cover that. So let me just jump on that for a second. Mm -hmm. My book is called Psychedelics for Everyone. I don't mean everyone should take a psychedelic. There are definitely oh, people yeah. who are not, who are taking certain prescriptions, um, who have, uh, who have a schizophrenic background or have different mental uh, health challenges in their background that don't make them great candidates for psychedelics. Um, what I do mean is that everybody should understand how they can be used potentially for themselves, potentially for someone they love, or for society as a whole. And then with that information, we can normalize the conversations and really conversations, not just about drugs, but about mental health, about well-being, about stigma, about how we look one way at a at a uh, drug user and a different way at someone who's an overeater and a different way at someone who's addicted to gambling or pornography. Um, and uh, and, and how we look at someone, oh, you're, this person is depressed and can't leave bed. Well, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, oh, here's someone who's manic and, but is a, is a successful business person because they just won't stop working in yeah. both cases. They're not living life. They're, they're, they're living a, a version that of race life, but, almost, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we judge them very differently as um, well as how we judge people who are taking medications but they're mm -hmm. prescribed oh that's okay then because it's prescribed so we have different opinions of the same condition but your yours is prescribed and yours is maybe from an underground basement somewhere right and then and, and just even just to touch on the fairness of that i mean i'll use ketamine in the states here as an example it, it is typically 500 to a thousand dollars a session insurance isn't going to cover it and for those who can afford it and can afford those forced, uh, first six sessions of ketamine to get dosed up, and then whatever frequency, once a month, once every two months, once every three months that their doctor prescribes them, that's amazing. What an amazing medicine. But there are others who can't afford that, who $6,000 or $3,000 is outside. And, and maybe they go into nature and they find mushrooms growing in a cow patch somewhere because they can. Mm -hmm. Is there any reason to judge that person who's chosen that path for their healing differently than the person who can afford the uh, the prescribed ketamines? Just again, things to be aware of: access, privilege, um, getting caught with mushrooms as a black or brown person in America is certainly a a uh, probably a tougher sentence than being caught with them as as a upper middle class white person. Yeah, so um, users, but not all equal. What about? Uh, what about age? Because you have spoken about this is not for certain people. What about age? Do you have limitations on what you would say is a safe age in the lower limit and also in the higher limit? So the word we use a lot is risk reduction. Um, all drugs, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to stay on this for just a moment. All drugs have some risk associated with them. Um, you can overdose some Tylenol. Um, the difference often between medicine and poison is your dose. Um, there's a, there's a study by Dr. David Nutt in Imperial college where he said, let's forget how drugs are classified and just look at the harm to self and the harm to others that these things do. 
And on the far left, the most dangerous drug that he put on his chart was alcohol. It's a 73 on his scale. Mm -hmm. On the far right-hand side, all the way down doo -doo -doo -doo, is mushrooms as a six. I think LSD is a seven, MDMA is a nine. Are there risks? Of course. Relatively, when um, these, these can be can be used responsibly and can be used relatively, relatively safely. Um, so now you talk about age. Researching psychedelics has been tricky. It's been hard to get our governments, both here in Canada and the States, to approve. So the researchers have gone for kind of right down the middle um, adults without any mental, uh, for the most part, for the most part, without any mental health challenges um, in kind of a mid-range of, of adults. That being said, the typical age that someone has their first psychedelic is like 14. Mm. Um, in many indigenous cultures, uh, certainly in Native American culture, in uh, many of the cultures in Central America, South America, they're starting uh, ayahuasca and peyote and other uh, substances very early. And they've done this for thousands of years. So I don't think indigenous people would keep using these substances um, if lots of people were getting hurt by those substances. Mm -hmm. um, in the ceremonial space that I kind of spend more of time in, we typically say 18. If you're going to come into ceremony, you should be 18. And, and you should do it purely of your will, not because your parents want you to. Um, it's because you want to explore this world yourself, to understand yourself better, to, to um, yeah, to have this uh, transition into adulthood and figure out what you're going to do for the rest or for, for your next part of life. Mm -hmm. On the upper end, um, it gets something that gets a little tricky is just the, the is blood pressure. Um, so things like MDMA and MDA, which increase blood pressure, are sometimes harder on older people, sometimes harder on people who've had cardiac events, sometimes harder on people who are dealing with uh, thyroid issues and, and uh, potentially weight issues. But I've seen people as, as old as 80 um, in ceremony um, who have been using everything from MDA and MDMA to psilocybin to Bufo or the 5-MeO we were talking about before. So I don't know, I'd, I'd say 18 to 80 comfortably and beyond 80, depending on that person's, uh, that person's health. One more super important point um, for anyone considering psychedelics, especially um, any of the underground psychedelics or even medical tourism, I can't recommend enough the spirit pharmacist, uh, Dr. Ben Malcolm's uh, uh, consultation services. He's a PharmD, so a doctor specializes in uh, psychedelic pharmacology. He'll look at your personal medical history okay. and have a 30 minute to an hour consult with you privately, not trying to sell you anything and talk to you about what might be less risky um, than for, for you. And maybe you have to taper down on, on an antidepressant, or maybe you have to remove a supplement, or maybe you're fine just as is, but he will help you through that um, as you're trying to figure out what, what you want to do or what is safe for you to do. Okay. So I highly recommend use, use his consult services or someone I, like him. Yeah, I will put his details in the description. But it almost sounds like to me that there may be some contraindications with some psychedelics if someone has chronic hypertension, systemic inflammation, potentially obesity, because obesity is a driving factor for all those. So mm -hmm. you definitely should consult with someone before taking this next step. Um, yeah. 
And then also, especially with the youth. So sometimes, so if we talk about things like schizophrenia and bipolar, a lot of times those are going to appear in the 18 to 25 year old zones. Mm -hmm. So if someone has a family history of schizophrenia or bipolar and is presenting with depression, it's probably not a good zone. To, it's probably not a good time to try a psychedelic, um, maybe with the exception of ketamine. Um, but if you're 60 and your brother had bipolar or schizophrenia and you've had no Issue. reason to believe that you've, you've, you have that, I don't see why there's any reason why you can't mm. experience a psychedelic. Um, bipolar, actually super interesting. Dr. James Fadiman talks about this a lot, how there's um, there's numerous Reddit boards in the bipolar community to talk about, okay, we're going to do psychedelics, but not in a manic phase, mm. but when we're in other phases or the other phase, we can, we can do a psychedelic. Um, again, no, not a lot of research to support it, but citizen scientists out there are talking about their experience all the time, which are real experiences nonetheless. Totally real. Mm -hmm. so what you said about the research, the cohorts that you just mentioned a few minutes ago, they were what would be considered normal, healthy. They would almost be a placebo group. Like they should have had another group that did have the mental health issues. Well, and let me be clear on that. There, there absolutely are groups, sorry, studying um, like treatment resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So mm -hmm. yes, that um, there's definitely been studies with depression, studies with anxiety. There's not a lot of studies with bipolar. There's not a lot of studies with autism, actually, as an interesting one. But there's some beautiful work being done in the autistic community with psychedelics. Um, University of Toronto, actually, is, I think, taking the lead on this, uh, coincidentally enough, Shemaine. Um, and I've talked to, I'm thinking of two particular individuals in the autistic community. One who said, um, actually, three. I, I couldn't understand emotions um, from other people. I couldn't read their faces until LSD. It unlocked it for me, and I could understand how to interpret emotions in a way that I just couldn't for the entire time I grew up. Another individual said, I couldn't project. I have a very flat affect and I couldn't project what I was feeling on the inside with my, with my body. Yeah. And LSD opened it up for him. Um, and it's super interesting when we think about aut uh, autism and the repetitive thought patterns that go into some pieces of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, not a lot of research exists, but it's starting. And that's so incredible that we, after 50 years of this prohibition, which shut down so much research that it's all picking back up again. And we're finding new, um, I mean, that we can see why this is the biggest change in mental health since the beginning, the creation of the antidepressant 50 some years ago. Mm, uh, and these people from how you're describing it and what we've already mentioned about the walls and the doors, a lot of people with autism and even ADHD and ADD, mm -hmm. they will express that they feel trapped inside their own mind. They're just trapped. And as we mentioned, taking down those walls and you said opening the doors it's amazing that psychedelics have been overlooked for so long and it's almost an epidemic in itself, the amount of children being born with these issues now. Yet we kind of, we're looking that way instead of mm. looking that way. We spend a lot of time looking out instead of looking in. Um, actually, I've been thinking a lot about these these days and how much time we are. It's like we're going, it was like something's wrong with us. I don't feel well. And I'm going to a doctor and asking them to give a prescription to you. I need you to change the way you interact with me to make me feel better. And I think that's just wrong. Mm. It's, it's, I need to change the way I perceive 
our conversation. I need to change the way I look at myself. I need to change the way I listen to you. Um, and it's all me, not you, that needs to change. And I think as a culture, we're spending so much time right now talking about how to get others to change to make me feel safe. Mm. And I think it's a never-ending game of tag that we're going to be playing, that there's always going to be people if we're gonna if we're gonna allow if we're gonna give somebody or we're gonna hand our agency over if you are now responsible for my well-being mm -hmm. i don't that doesn't sound okay to me if only um, <laughs> if only yeah. yeah um i'm responsible for my well-being i'm responsible for my happiness i'm responsible for how i see the world i'm responsible for the the love i give and the love i receive mm -hmm. and um and you might say something that I don't like, but that's because not because probably not because you are trying to be mean or that you're evil. You're saying something because you're misinformed or you're not awake or you're not aware. And I need to be Maybe able to understand triggering, that. You're triggering something inside me that I already have an issue with, which is a big thing that I say, if someone insults you or they're talking behind your back you're not the problem necessarily the problem is you have opened up something inside them that they're insecure about of course of course yeah and and that they might not even know the words on where that root where that fear which is what drives most of this fear and scarcity um where that's rooted from but but when 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 an emotion happens, when the heart hurts, when the body aches, when the throat closes up, that is your body responding before your brain is caught up with it. Mm -hmm. um, and my, I encourage people, in the, again, the spiritual world, it's like, well, look, spend, this is not about them. This is about you. You are scared of something. You are, your body is triggering something. And what they said just brought it to light. They are working for you. They're your allies in this weird way. Mm -hmm. And then you have a choice. You can spend the time and dig through that emotion, try to get to the root of it and try to heal that mm -hmm. and move forward. Or you can blame them for <laughs> saying something Here. that made you feel this way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that then puts your healing, your learning, healing, and growing in somebody else's hands. And it doesn't belong there. It's in mm -hmm. your hands. It's such uncomfortable work to do, though. It's so uncomfortable on a level that it entails being strong and courageous and fighting those inner demons, but also becoming humble and realizing, well, maybe I wasn't right, or maybe I'm not all this. Like I thought it like it's such a challenge. Um, and I say that from personal experience. I'm constantly saying, you know, like maybe I'm not this and maybe I'm not that. And it's constant inner battle. And half my battle outside with my clients is like, I can give you all answers, but I can't do the work. I wish I could do the work, but I can't. But I did, as you were speaking, uh, I had listened to one of your previous interviews and you mentioned loneliness. Mm -hmm. which as you were speaking it came back to me and I can honestly say I'm never really lonely sometimes I'd like someone to talk to but in realistic senses I'm never really lonely because I'm very much well there's always someone with me I really feel my grandparents are always with me of course my god is always with me I'm never really alone I always have myself like you hear the kind of age-old cliche of uh, I'm my own best friend mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm my best friend I'm sometimes I'm my own worst enemy 
but I'm never really alone. And um, sometimes I laugh when I talk to myself because my mom would always say, if you talk to yourself, it's a sign of madness. But I'm like, no, I'm having real conversations here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, loneliness, back to what you were saying. I don't want to go on much more. You speak on loneliness. Oh, I love, I love everywhere. I mean, you, you just covered so much ground and what you just said, um, in Western society, a lot of us wake up, we eat breakfast, shower, and get in a car, we go to work. And that for many of us is not fulfilling work. It's the work we need to do to put a roof overhead and to eat. But many of us don't love that work. We don't look at our colleagues as in many cases, as our true friends, they're our work friends. There are people we, we pass the days with, mm. but, um, but they're different friends than the friends on the outside. Mm. We come home, we're tired. We spend some time with our family. We might eat, maybe watch a TV show or two, and we go to bed. And we do that the vast majority of our lives. We get some weekends off. For, we get a couple of weeks, three weeks a year, whatever that is, uh, maybe some more up in Canada. Um, mm. But we don't make the time to live in community, to to raise a barn, to share, to have, to develop friendships as we get older. I mean, in many cases, many of our friends are from high school and college when we had more time. Mm -hmm. um, to, again, not speaking for everybody, but in, in brushstrokes. And for many people, they feel alone. Um, and that, and that's sorry, I just describe people who have families. But there are people who, who absolutely live, live alone and they don't have anyone. They come back to their house, maybe a dog or a cat or maybe not. And they, um, yeah, and they're lonely and they feel disconnected and they feel isolated and they don't have that relationship with God that you talked about. They don't have a relationship with nature. They just feel alone. And, um, and I think this type of uh, psychedelic medicine can first show you that you're you are connected to everybody and everything. We are all each other's brother and sister. We are not separate from the trees and the grass and the, and the animals. We're, we're a part of nature, just like they are. When we burn down those jungles, we're burning down our own selves in some respects. Mm. Um, and we, and not that that's always wrong. It's not always right. It's just, we need to have discernment with this. Um, but feeling that connection again, I think can also unlock, okay, I'm not by myself. I am connected and I, I'm hungry for more love. I'm hungry for more sharing of love. I'm hungry for more uh, understanding about myself. And I, I think psychedelics really can get people moving in those directions. Yeah. You know, um, as you're speaking there about nature, I'm a huge Alice in Wonderland mm. Fan. And I'm sure you've heard the stories with the psychedelics and Lewis Carroll and all that. Now, I'm so huge fan. My house is designed around it. Everyone will tag me and stuff on it. People send me gifts of Alice in Wonderland. Like, I am the Alice in Wonderland. And I always wonder, obviously, that's why I'm so curious. But I feel connected to more than I don't know if I should, but I do feel can I talk to my cat now, like not like the average person talks to their cat. But there's a part in one of the Alice in Wonderland movies that uh, the White Queen was saying, um, have you spoken to the trees today? They're looking a little bit sad. And she says, well, maybe you could speak a bit more kinder to them. 
so connecting to that nature but I will speak to my garden and I will speak to my tree and I I don't consider it a crazy thing I've no problem making friends I have plenty of friends but I like being almost in my inner universe where I have my outside friends and we'll go do things but I also have my inside friends where I'll go into my garden I'll talk to my garden I'll talk to my cat I'll talk to my god my grandparents who passed they're always with me so I have that world and then I have my outside world and I don't think a lot of people have that um rabbit hole almost they mm -hmm. don't have that rabbit hole to go down to they're always talking to the outside world and the outside world is so noisy and it's go 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 it's the rat race there's always demands on us that psychedelics being the rabbit hole not enough people have it but when you mention connecting to nature and I know a lot of people love to garden and I am no way a good gardener but I just I suppose I take a little bit of a different approach because I'm so entwined in that wonderland world. That sounds like a beautiful practice. Well, my husband's looking out the window saying, there she goes again. She's crazy yeah. talking to the apple tree, but well. <laughs> but why not? Why not? It makes you feel connected. It's another way of, of, of connecting with those, those beings. I mean, it's, it's, it is really wild when we look at how smart plants are. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of different, um, things I'll point out. One is that they, they, there's a, uh, person who makes essentially a radio that clips on to these two electrons clip can clip onto any plant or tree. And it essentially has the plant create music. I've seen that. Yeah. It's so cool. And if you, if the plant, if you get too near the plant, it makes a different noise. If someone who doesn't like comes near the plant, it makes a different noise. If you cut the plant, it makes a different noise. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing about just the intelligence of plants um, they have trained it just like a, the Pavlov experiment with the dog, where you you ring a bell, you can teach the dog to, to salivate. Mm -hmm. Well, they've taken plants and had um and put water underneath one one part of the root system and not water under the other, and watched the roots grow to get the water. And if they put a sound where the water is, uh, they can remove the water and just play the sound, and the roots going to grow to that sound, thinking there's water there. Mm -hmm. So cool. Because we water just has its own sound as well. Water has its own sound, and the um, and that the plants have have an intelligence without necessarily having a brain. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think again, it's beautiful things to think about. Things I never thought about pre psychedelics, but uh, I maybe mean, they do have a brain. We just haven't discovered it yet. There we go. It's like, a different type of brain. We don't know. Um, so I before I let you go, I do want to discuss microdosing a little sure. bit. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to direct people towards your books. So we'll add that in at then. But I have a lot of clients, which is almost everybody at this mm. stage, that have some sort of adrenaline and anxiety issues. So I do know people. No names, no sources. Mm. You know people who are microdosing and they swear by it. But I have a lot of clients that are not microdosing. And when I say they're really struggling with anxiety, they're really struggling mm -hmm. with anxiety. Like they barely are getting through their days. And how's the microdosing been working for them? So the ones who are microdosing, they said, oh, it just changed their lives. They feel more capable. They're calmer. They're able to get through their daily lists. It's just that silencing that we spoke about, taking away the noise, and now they can just focus on their list. And, and we know ticking off lists makes us feel more accomplished and we're making progress. So there's the loop happening. 
but I have clients who are not using it and they, some of them are not even sleeping more than two hours mm. a night. So. All right. So let's back up and talk about what is microdosing and um, how do you do it? What do you do it with? And what does the research say? Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, microdosing is when you take a 10th to a 20th of a traditional dose. Um, so something that would be either subperceptual, you don't consciously feel it, or maybe subintoxicating. You feel it a little bit, but you can still function in your day. If if you're in that world of subperceptual, subintoxicating, that's probably a microdose. And when people talk about microdosing, they're mostly talking about mushrooms and LSD. Yes, you can microdose with other substances, but for the most part, these are the two primary ones. Um, and mushrooms probably more than LSD just because they're so much easier to get. Um, when you microdose, um, people do it for a number of reasons. Sometimes they do it for um, anxiety reasons. They want the blues to be a little bit bluer, the gray to be a little less gray, to feel a little bit less socially awkward, to feel more connected to other people. Um, sometimes people do it to enhance their creativity or their problem-solving skills. And the research is kind of split. There's some research that says, yeah, it does all these things. And mm -hmm. there's other research that says, nah, it's just a placebo. Um, there isn't any research that says it's dangerous, though. So um, that tremendously dangerous. So, they, so for the most part, if it's something you're feeling drawn to, it's, it is on, on the risk scale, it's a pretty low-risk activity to try. Um, again, not encouraging them to try anything, but on that scale, it's low risk. Mm -hmm. When um, there are two primary ways that people actually microdose, they can follow Dr. James Fadiman's protocol, which he says, take it on day one, it's still in your body on day two, let it wash out on day three, do mm -hmm. it again on day four mm -hmm. and do that for four weeks, take a couple weeks off. Paul Stamets, who's a famous mycologist, um, he says, that's too complicated. Take it four days in a row, take three days off. And then every four weeks, take a couple week break. Um, he then goes and says, oh, and by the way, add some niacin and add some lion's mane. And you will not only have the traditional psychedelic effects of uh, connection, creativity, um, problem solving, you'll also help your dexterity and your memory. And he has a, uh, he could set that stack of psilocybin or mushroom with lion's mane and niacin is generically known as the Stamets stack. Yeah. And um, there's lots of, lots of uh, things on the internet about exact proportions and how to do that. Um, many people start with psychedelics by microdosing. They're like, oh, I don't want to, these antidepressants aren't working for me anymore or aren't working for me, period. Or I don't like the side effects of these antidepressants. Mm -hmm. um, and I want something that has very few side effects. And I want something I don't have to put in my body every day. And I want something I'm not going to be addicted to. And I want something that I can make myself or I can buy inexpensively. Or is more well, natural. Or is more well. natural. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good point. And maybe that's where they start with um, psilocybin or mushrooms with, uh, with microdosing. For many people, they can be on an antidepressant or tapering off of an antidepressant while doing psilocybin. More than 50% of the population it can be a straight dose. Maybe another 25% needs a little bit more psilocybin, but, um, but they can do it. And so for people tapering off of uh, antidepressants, it can be an extra piece of scaffolding that helps them do that. Mm. Um, for some people, they have to taper off before the effect works. And just uh, 
then maybe ketamine becomes an option for those people, or, or they just do it naturally. Uh, Dr. Ben Malcolm, going back to the spirit pharmacist, he's got a whole guide to tapering that's free on his website. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Um, I think what else is important on microdosing? Well, it sounds people... like it's a lot of trial and error as well. There is going to be no one shoe size that fits everyone. Yeah, the 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 joke is to um to make sure you start your first microdose on a Saturday, <laughs> and typically start smaller than you think. So maybe a hundred milligrams or 0.1, um, to start. See how that makes you feel. Maybe then 0.15, 0.2, um, but do it on a Saturday in case it's more than you expect. So you're not having that experience while in the workplace. Um, but once you find your dose, um, then it's you can repeat. You can make your own capsules. You can buy capsules um, from a variety of people, um, and uh, and then you, you should be able to follow either of those protocols with uh, with success. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time, but one thing just popped into my head yeah. right there before I let you go is for people who are microdosing. Have you heard of any? Um, not even anomalies, any interactions with hormones, increased cravings, which we would associate with THC, any changes in that aspect where someone says, well, I've been microdosing for so long, but I swear my sugar cravings have gone through the roof or I'm gaining weight or my cycle has changed or anything like that. I really haven't. Um, I, I heard recently about someone who had some liver enzymes increasing, but I but I haven't seen that in any research. That was more of an antidotal um, report. But I really the the side effect profiles from microdosing is, is very minimal. I mean, we talk about people I think are so used to antidepressants, where and what some antidepressants seventy three percent of the people who take them have some type of sexual dysfunction. It's a mm-hmm. huge number. Weight gain, lethargy. Um, uh, suicidal ideation, yeah. palpitations. It just, we're just used to a lot of side effects. So when people are like, well, there's mushrooms have less side effects. Mm, they have a lot less side effects. Yeah. Um, it's a, just a different, it's a whole different ball game. The other thing that um, I think people don't know or on antidepressants, if they're not working for you, that's normal. It's not you're failing the medicine. It's the medicine failing you. They only work in like 40% of the population. Yeah. So it's, it's, so don't feel like you've done something wrong. If you've now tried multiple antidepressants and it's just not working for you. Um, I think that's okay. I think the the success rate on mushrooms seems to be higher, but again, the research is out on the microdosing. Oh, and then that's the other thing. So I was saying some people come to microdosing because that's where they want to start. Others have done some type of large dose experience, whether it's a ceremony, um, a, a, a big set of ketamine doses, something. And they want to have scaffolding after that experience. So we recommend typically take a couple weeks beyond. So you've done your ceremony, you've done a big dose of mushrooms. Take a couple weeks off, integrate, let it process, then start your microdosing as a, as an additional scaffolding for your integration support. So as you think about what types of behavioral change have you introduced, how are you keeping track of what your goals are. Um, that it can be a, it can be a help for that process, but that's another way people find their way to microdosing, like a transitioning aid or phase. Yeah, they've done a big one. Now they want to do some microdosing, and then maybe they stop it all, and mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Or maybe they decide it's going to be a part of their life on some frequency. Mm-hmm. That's okay, but it's not the same type of frequency of, of an every day, um, or every week, or every month. It's 
I think many people do it, do some type of uh, psychedelic experience quarterly or once a year or um, on just special episodic experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, it really is a fascinating topic and hopefully a lot more research starts to be proactively done on this like sharing is caring mm. um well you in your sharing methods have created this book psychedelics for everyone which is a guide am i correct it's a guide to kind of go into more depth on what we just discussed and helping people understand psychedelics and how it may be helpful for them yeah absolutely when i when after my first experience i i, I realized there's a ton of information out there but much of it is written for people with a medical background. I didn't have any science background. And then some of it's just so far out there. I, I just didn't know what to believe. And uh, so I wanted to put a book together that had some of my personal stories that had kind of an introduction to psychedelics. And then they had different experts weigh in on different aspects of these different types of psychedelics. Um, but then I took it a step further and went and had every chapter uh, medically reviewed. So just so that people can read this book and read whatever pieces of it are are relevant to them mm. and trust that the information they're getting is accurate. It's not too technical. It's not too opinionated. It's not too out there. Yeah. And um, and I, I hope it, I hope that's the, the feedback I'm getting, whether uh, people read the book or whether they listen to the audible book is that uh, it does that. But uh, I certainly hope it continues to do that. Well, the Amazon reviews are looking pretty good from Canada's side. <laughs> And one thing we didn't mention, and just for the people who have stayed till the end, which is hopefully everyone, um, (laughs) that psychedelics can also be beneficial for pain. Um, There is a lot of antidotes and some published papers around cancer treatment and psychedelics being beneficial and even end of life as well. Because I know we have people who listen who are going through those different scenarios and psychedelics, we didn't specifically mention pain, but can be helpful with pain. Yeah. And um, the, there's a lot of research on cluster headaches or migraines um, mm-hmm. with, with psychedelics and then the ability to, to alleviate some of those symptoms. Um, yeah, so lots, lots happening in the pain world. Um, and again, particular, and particularly with ketamine legal in all 50 States, I think pretty, I think it's legal across Canada as well, um, with the prescription parts, and, um, PC and some... it has definitely been more open to a lot of mm. changes. Even heroin has been allowed mm-hmm. in some areas of BC. So we'll just wait and see what happens. So where can people follow you? Where can we get your book? Um, my book, Psychedelics for Everyone, or my journal, Beyond the Trip for Preparation and Integration, are Ooh, available yes. anywhere that uh, books are sold. And then the Audible of the Psych- Psychedelics for Everyone seems to be very popular. It's, it's wild. I, mean, I had no idea that I would be selling more Audible books than print books, but uh, people like the Audible. Um, easier. You can walk and listen. You can drive. You can be vacuuming your house and you're listening. So, yeah. Yeah, I've learned that lesson. And then the... Um, mattzeman.com is my website. Um, I answer anyone who put, has questions, um, who puts them in there. I, I, it might take a minute, but I get back to everybody. I, I'm truly just trying to get information out there and point people in safe directions um, to, the, to, to as much as I'm able. And then I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, and certainly appreciate people who reach out in, in either of those uh, modes as well. Great. And for our Canada listeners, the Canada book bookstores can be hit and miss, but Amazon has both of your books. I've checked, mm-hmm. so I'll share those links below. Um, but otherwise, this has been really fascinating. So I mean, I appreciate you bringing this on and bringing this to to, uh, to to your audience. The work being done with uh with behaviors around eating and psychedelics is just tremendous, and hopefully, uh, 
your, your well, people found it interesting. Is, yeah, mental health is our biggest challenge when it comes to mm-hmm. all of it. So this is that that rabbit hole that hopefully will help some people start talking to more trees and stuff. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Man, thank you. Thank you.